This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Adidas and the all-new line of Tarek's outdoor gear. I think it is the best kept secret that um, Adidas has also an outdoor department. This is Christian Zwinger, outdoor design director at Adidas, and a man with a fairly substantial cold. You hear my voice is a little bit, is a little bit dark. But we're going to talk with him anyway, because a few years ago, Adidas started a big push to make their outdoor department a lot more friendly to the outdoors. Cut down on wasted material, cut down on water usage during the manufacturing process. And they did. But Adidas is also making more fundamental changes. They're changing the design of their shoes to make them less resource intensive to produce. And that is changing the aesthetic. And it looks very intuitive. So you're looking at the product and you have already the feeling, ah, okay, that is different to everything I've seen before. The first thing they did on their running and hiking shoes was refine the placement of the reinforcements and abrasion resistance. Some of those choices were to cut down on weight, but they also made the shoes last longer. Make a product that has a longer lifespan or a longer life cycle. It is already environmental friendly. The second thing they did was they started looking closely at which colors they made shoes in. Because it turns out that different colors require different amounts of energy to produce. And the most efficient thing was to just leave the materials in their natural state. We don't need a lot of decoration on the products. The right coloration or even no color at all is then the most beautiful thing. When I got on the phone with Christian, this is not what I thought he was going to talk about. But he says Adidas has a whole department analyzing the environmental impact of all their different products. And this stuff adds up. And whenever we have the feeling that we are having an additional benefit, it is super cool because it is just like this natural fuel that is intensifying the interest in these sustainable ideas. For more on Adidas outdoor products, go to adidas.com slash Terex. That's T-E-R-R-E-X. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches. Stories from our writers in the field. In a lot of ways, rock climbing is an intuitive sport. There's a wall and handholds and a clear goal get to the top. But in a lot of other ways, rock climbing is really hard to figure out. Because it turns out you're only supposed to use some of the handholds, and the difficulty ratings are from 5.0 to 5.15a, whatever that means. There are also knots to learn, and lingo to figure out, and everyone looks goofy stepping into a harness for the first time. We forget what it's like to be a beginner. It's particularly difficult for people of color who face not just these barriers, but also the fact that when they go to a climbing gym or a crag, it's usually a bunch of white people there. So they're both beginners and outsiders. No one knows this better than James Mills. James is a writer and journalist who's been working in the outdoor industry since 1989. He's also the author of The Adventure Gap, about how people of color interact with America's wilderness. Over the next few weeks, he'll be talking with four people pushing to make the outdoors more inclusive each in their own way. We have two climbers, a cyclist, and a runner. And generally, they're not the fastest or the most amazing athletes, although they're plenty fast and amazing in their own way. These are people at the cutting edge of their sport's culture. We're going to start with Mikhail Martin. Mikhail was in college when he learned to climb, which means it was perfect timing for this new sport to take over his life. Here's James. Like most bored college students, Mikhail Martin was just looking for something to do. 
a self-described computer nerd, he wasn't much into traditional sports like football, baseball, or basketball. In high school, he was in the chess club. Having grown up a city kid from Queens, New York, his options for outdoor sports were pretty limited. He had a little bit of athletic ability, and Mikhail tried his hands and feet at martial arts, but that still didn't do it. Then as a freshman at NYU, a friend invited Mikhail to a rock climbing gym. And that's all it took to get him hooked. After just one visit, he became an avid climber. He started climbing regularly whenever he could. But it didn't take long for Mikhail to realize that at most of the climbing gyms in the city, there were hardly any African Americans. So now, um, now you start, first started rock climbing in 2009. Tell me about that early first experience climbing. Oh, there were so many things going on in my head. I, I got into the gym and I was overwhelmed because... You know, I saw people lead climbing, so that's, you know, clipping into the road, uh, into the quick draws as they, you know, move up the wall. And they would fall and take swim, big swings, you know, we call them whippers. And it was just nuts to me because, you know, you have all these color-coded routes and all these numbers on it that meant different things. Uh, and I was just overwhelmed. So, you know, getting in there, I kind of gravitated towards bouldering because, it was a lot. It was less for me to remember. Uh, when I first started, I, I I tried top roping and I could never remember how to tie a figure eight, and I almost failed my blade test because of that. And so I just stared towards bouldering, and I, I could barely get up a V zero, which is usually the easiest climb in the gym. And yeah, even my friends, you know, they would all just laugh. We just went and had fun. You know, that's all we did. Um, you know, we were bored college kids, and that's what we did. You know, we just went climbed and. It felt great because when I started climbing, I was 135 pounds. A year later, I was 145 pounds, and most of that was muscle. And I was all muscle from, from climbing so much. And we would be in the gym four, five, maybe sometimes six times a week. Now, did you get any pushback early on from your family or friends or peers or people? Who oh, yeah. Tell me about that. Um, I mean, the first came from my mom. Uh, she would always say, hey, why, what, what is this rock climbing? You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to break this. You're going to break that. It's dangerous. It's this. It's that. Why are you going out to Brooklyn? Brooklyn is dangerous. Like, there were all so many different reasons for me not to go to Brooklyn to rock climb. You know, um, you know that was one thing. And, you know, just in the back of my head, you know, I had it, oh, like, Black people don't go rock climbing. I never heard of anybody going rock climbing to begin with in my neighborhood. And that's just what it was, you know. And, yeah, so in, in terms of pushback, I mean, that would really be it. Um, but, you know, me being stubborn, I didn't listen. And you know, now I rock climb, and now I love it. And, and now it's a, a huge part of my life. It's most of my life, you know. For Mikhail, regular sessions at the gym allowed him to become part of the local community. He was popular. He had plenty of friends and climbing partners to train with. But Mikhail always noticed whenever another black climber came on the scene. Yeah, so early on, you know, give, in a given time, there would only be one or two of us at the gym. And, you know, the minute another would walk into the gym, you would instantly walk up, say, hey, what's up? My name is blah, blah, blah. This is what I do. Hey. And it would just be, you know, it's like the nod that, you know, I don't know if you know, but like, you know, all black people do it. Like they give you like the little nods up, like, "Hey, what's up? What's up?" And that's exactly the same uh, thing that happened in the gym. So you know, even if we didn't climb together always, because we didn't always climb together, but we always acknowledge each, each other in the gym and at least say, "Hey, what's up?" And it just so happened that a couple of us kind of stuck together and started climbing more and more together. 
And, you know, once we started, uh, you know, congregating and climbing together, we kind of teamed up. And when we would see another walk and then we'd collectively go over and make sure that somebody introduced himself to them and, you know, just kind of keep it going until everyone knew everyone knew each other and eventually brothers of climbing. <laughs> so at first you were just the black dudes who climbed. Yeah. At, at what point did you become the brothers of climbing? Uh, I mean, that's a tough question. I mean, when we were just the black guys who climb, um, you know, we would just, all we did was joke around and have fun. And, in you know, when we, anytime you form, a, anytime you, you get together and form a group, you know, you're, you come up with a name and, you know, we're like, oh, we're blacks of climbing. And then somewhere brothers of climbing came out and brothers of climbing actually stuck. It was to the point where other people in the gym were like, BOC, BOC. Because when, when we walked in, climbed together, we had that energy, you know, um, like we, like we were the ones who, who like, you know, got Brooklyn Boulders to start their first dino comp. You know, we reached out and said, hey, it would be a lot of fun because we were already doing it on our own every Friday night. And, you know, people would always look over. Um, and, like, this, like, non-black people would, like, look over and, like, ah, like, those group of people are, like, a lot of fun. And people would come over, joke with us. And it was just a great, you know, environment. And, and, um, and that's something that we wanted to share. So, you know, fast forward, you know, some more, uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. And we started going, like, uh, we as a group started going to rock climbing comps and other events, like movie screenings and whatever. And, you know, we noticed we were still the only people of color, you know, at these events. Despite, you know, you would find, we had a handful, like maybe some Indian climbers, a ton of Asian climbers. But still, when you, anytime you would go to these comps and, like, specialized climbing events, it, would, it was still very much a, a white thing. Uh, so... And it bothered us a little bit because, uh, at least for me, growing up in Queens is very diverse. And I'm used to, like, every year, every, every school teacher I had had a different accent. And, and for me, that's normal. And to be in a place where it's very homogenous, it's not to say that I feel out of place. I just notice it. Um, it's just what happens when you grow up in a diverse place. When you go into a place that's not as diverse, you notice these things. And, and we said, okay, you know what, it's time for us to come together and make a deliberate effort to expose our people to this sport. So that's when we formed Brothers of Climbing. Uh, we started off with a, a t-shirt. Uh, one of our co-founders uh, does design and he, you know, this is a specialty. So he made out, he spent hours working on that logo and, and um, me and the other co-founder, you know, found a way to get it printed out and and distributed in, in at least in New York City, and it kind of caught on. Uh, and people people wanted the shirts. Everyone was like, "How do I get one? How do I get one? I want to join the crew." And then you had all people like, "Is Brothers of Climbing for me too? I'm um, I'm not black, but you know, can I can I buy a shirt?" And you know, obviously, like for us, we we're more about just inclusivity and having a good time and exposing people. And you know, it's like, hey, yeah, if as long as you have a good vibe, we like that's what we're about. And you know, continued to grow and grow. And, you know, we, we started doing meetups uh, in, you know, various gyms across the country. Um, like when we first started, we, we teamed up with Brooklyn Boulders to bring a, a portable rock climbing wall to the Afropunk Festival in Brooklyn. And man, if I, if I, I have to find a picture because that line to get people climbing and like it, it was, I don't know how many city blocks, but it was long. And if you waited on that line, you would probably spend the rest of the festival like on that line waiting to go rock climbing. But, you know, people were excited and 
you know, that gave us enough, enough validation that people were willing to try it if it was accessible to them, if they had an easy opportunity to try it. Like, who wouldn't want to try rock climbing? There were kids and adults uh, all doing it. So, Mikhail set an example, both through his own climbs and the BOC. He was letting his community know that climbing is a thing. It's fun and exciting and hard. And by making a real connection between the artificial structures of the climbing gym and the natural features of nearby cragging areas, Mikhail provided these city folks with a good reason to go outside. I mean, when we started, we, we wanted to share the community with with uh, the climbing community, with our our home communities. And, you know, I do think it's great that we are able to create people who do eventually become stewards for the outdoors because, you know, if we're going to be out there, we need to protect it. Um, and, but our main goal is to allow people to experience something new, realize that there's more out there than what they think. And, you know, show them that if it's something that they want to pursue, that they can do it. I mean, I think the, the beauty of brothers of climbing is that even though, um, you know, climbing, climbing is the avenue that we deliver our message through trying new things, but really it applies to everything else. You know, maybe there's somebody who didn't think they can go to college, but now, now they're like, okay, well, I went rock climbing. I could, what else, what else can I do? Maybe I want to pick up scuba diving. Maybe I want to pick up astrophysics. doesn't matter. And I think that's the beauty. Uh, we, climbing is just the avenue to trying something new and teaching people how to learn to do something new. So that way they can enrich their lives however they see fit. And it's not just about personal growth. More and more outdoor sports are how people do business and make connections. In a lot of ways, in a lot of cities, the climbing gym is the new golf course, the new country club. Now, you mentioned to me in a previous conversation that rock climbing actually helped you get a job. Mm-hmm, that is correct. So um, I was working at one of the local climbing gyms in New York City, and you know, you talk to all the members there, and you know, one of them was a software engineer, and at the time I was studying computer science. And, you know, he approached me. He said, hey, uh, well, it's summertime and we're looking for interns. You know, I like climbing with you. Let's see what you can do in front of the computer, too. And, you know, I went for the interview, um, interviewed a couple people, and they said, you're in. And from there, you know, that's, that started my career as a software engineer. Um, you know, I worked at that company, went on to a 3D printing company, and I work now in ad tech. But... You know, it all started from just hanging out at a climbing gym. And, you know, and because I, I work as a software engineer, I've been able to afford, you know, you know, traveling, taking all these trips and having that vacation time, but then also having things like health insurance and not having to worry about when is the next time, you know, I'm going to be able to eat, you know, because all because I started rock climbing. I met this person and my career kind of skyrocketed from there, so... Of course, climbing gyms are really just the beginning. As more and more organizations start to focus on attracting and retaining people of color as customers, employees, and advocates, these spaces stand as an accessible indoor gathering place for an outdoor-focused community. So if mainstream environmental groups and companies want to redefine their relationships with underrepresented segments of the population and work toward greater diversity, equity, and inclusion, an urban climbing gym is a good place to start. So I think now that a lot of organizations, not just retail organizations, but environmental conservation organizations are recognizing that they have, quote unquote, a diversity problem, 
they're working at trying to have more people of color as members, but also as supporters. What do you want them to know, you know about getting in touch or being better able to address the interests and needs of people of color? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously a lot of things, but you know, the first thing I would say is stop treating us as a charity case. You know, um, you know, just because we're taking, like, just because we're a diversity organization doesn't mean that we we only work with at-risk, quote-unquote, youth, and that's all we're good for, you know? Like like I said earlier, right, I'm building a website that's going to that's gonna facilitate everybody, right? Um, so look at us and as true partners and look at us, you know, on the same level. And, and that's the only way, you know, we'll be able to actually work together and do something even bigger than what we already have now. Um, and then, you know, you, you have to meet us in the middle, you know, once again, you know, you can't sit up top on this mountaintop and then go look down in the valley and, and see us, you know, you have to see us on the other, on the other side. And yeah, I mean, that's, that would, that would be like the big thing, you know, we're not a charity case. And simply put, if, if you're not with us, I don't want to say if you're not with us, you're not against us, but, um, I, I want to say... Wow, what do I want to say? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, if if you if in the end you don't want to partner with us, we're eventually just gonna do our own thing, and that's what we're doing. So either get with it or get over, well, it. Or get over it. Yeah, like oh well. <laughs> that's Mikhail Martin talking with writer James Mills. This piece was produced by James and myself, Peter Frickret. Music and sound design by Robbie Carver. It was brought to you by Adidas. The Outside Podcast is a production of PRX and Outside Magazine. We'll be back next week.